The Lord be with you. With thy spirit. God, our Creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, we're back in Romans chapter 6. Um, a little bit of a break both between um, doing uh, lessons related to um, Advent or the Christmas season anyway. I guess in some ways it might be as <laughs> appropriate to do today as uh, when we did them. But, um, and then last week not meeting. So we were talking about uh, before dying to sin, living to God's, and where we needed to be. Looking at the last two verses, though, in chapter 5 of Romans. Now, the law came to increase, and I'm going to paraphrase something here, the awareness of sins, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the reason I changed there is that the law came to increase the trespass. It really didn't, the law didn't increase sinning per se, but it increased the awareness of sin. And so Paul starts in at the first of chapter 6 about saying, uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And he goes through the old self, our relationship with Christ and his death, and that you know, no longer does sin have dominion over him for the death he died he died to sin once for all but the life he lives he lives to God so you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ that's where the Holy Spirit comes to work with us uh, before the others got here Margaret and I were chatting and um, there in chapter, uh, the first verse of chapter 6 is, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? She said that when they lived on St. Simon, there was a woman there who believed in that verse, that <laughs> the more she sinned, the more grace she received. And she was, as Margaret says, she was pretty steadfast in that belief. That, uh, <laughs> And so, you know, some people can take that to be that, you know, if you follow from uh, the end of chapter 5, that might be a reasonable conclusion, but Paul very quickly says no. Well, we today we pick up in chapter 15, and where does Paul start back again? What then? Are we to sin? No. You know, it's, it's, it's that theme of people that continue to think of there's a right place, a proper place to continue sinning. 
So if someone would just read, it's just about four verses, five verses, uh, verses 15 through 19. Why not? <laughs> what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you are once that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your, of your natural limitations. For as you once were present, for as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Thank you. As I said, here again, we start again with Paul asking, what then are we to continue sinning? Because, you know, we're not under grace, we're not under the law, but grace. So, yes, we, may, we do continue to sin, but it's not a willingness. You know, we are... You know, the human side of us, the flesh, we continue to, to fight against the temptation that we have. But being in Christ, we have a weapon to help us fight. We have something that recalls. Um, here again, Margaret and I were talking beforehand and, and the follow-up to... Yeah, we had we had a discussion early on of uh, two. Mar Margaret gave me great stuff to to work with, uh, but she was telling me about another woman who had gone to her priest and said, "You know, there's a sin I want to keep doing. I won't, and I think adultery would be just appropriate." And said that she can became a was going to become a prostitute. But the Spirit of God was working in her, and it just didn't work out. It wasn't the satisfaction that she thought that she would be getting, and she turned from it. But that was because the Holy Spirit was working within her, that that temptation, that desire that she had, was not like the first woman who was just going to go out there and sin, but the Spirit worked within her. Well, that's what happens with us. Yes, we go on sinning. We not, may not make that bold statement that I'm going to, you know, commit adultery. I'm going to go rob banks, just anyone I can come to. Uh, but that we do it with an unwillingness, maybe, but it happens nonetheless. So, Paul is then starting with, you know, about being obedient slaves. And he talks about being slaves to sin when we were under the law. Now, when he talks about the law, he's talking about the Mosaic law, what Moses had given to the people, which God had obviously given to Moses to, to share with them, that they were obedient. They just did it. Uh, they didn't have anything to guide them away from it. They, the law was there and they were told, thou shalt not do. Um, 
you know, the Pharisees and what they did, they were really, they were total slaves to the law, if you will. I mean, they, they sought perfection in the law, not a relationship with God. It wasn't necessarily that they were going out and, and trying to sin, but that they, they were so wed to the law they could see nothing else. They were obedient to it in a different way than somebody necessarily going out there and just doing, but they just did, but their focus was away from where God wanted it to be. But thanks to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and you've been freed from sin. And as I said, we still sin, so we're not free of sinning, but we're free from the bondage of it. But now we become slaves of righteousness. And it's seeking to let the Holy Spirit lead us that we are attempting and working toward that right living that God would have. And so we've become, and it's a bad analogy, he starts there in 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's telling, I'm trying to give you an example. It's not a good one necessarily, but it's one you got to work through and you got to understand. And so he's, you know, just as you were presented your members or yourself as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Present yourself as working toward the righteousness of God, free from the sin. Uh, you know, the obedience to obedience uh, leads to right judgment with God. So if we're obe- you know, obedience to obedience, it's kind of what it... it the commentary, and it gets to be kind of word on top of word, but is that we are looking to be led by that grace that we have through Christ's death and by accepting his death and redemption that frees us from sin, then we are working toward that obedience that leads to righteousness, and we're slaves to that. We're striving to do what is right. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that when the church doors open, we're necessarily here to, to serve, because then again, that can become, the service becomes more important than the reason we may be serving. But, you know, we're in the Word, the Word is guiding us, and that becomes the driving force, not looking to the sin. Um, you know, when we are, are free, we really have more freedom now. Um, the uh, commentary I was reading used an example of getting your driver's license. You pass the test, you're free to drive on the road, but you don't have the freedom to drive as you would want to drive. I can't go speeding down 20th Street at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. There are pedestrians, there's other things. I can't do that. The, the law is against that. I have the freedom to use the road, 
but I don't have the freedom to do what I want necessarily. So we have to, you know, that becomes some of that, where that freedom is. We have the opportunity to use that freedom that we have in Christ as the Holy Spirit would guide us, not as we would guide us. Because that self-guiding is what got us in trouble to begin with. Um, And so our heart, when we become a slave to obedience, it's our heart is transformed. Um, And that, you know, heart is that inner us, not just the beating organ. And, you know, grow in love of righteousness and then living in God's word. Um, God is attempting, or using, I wouldn't say attempting, God is, is using Christ and those that seek Christ and seek the Lord to bring back the world out of chaos to where it was to begin with, before Adam and Eve in the garden separated themselves from God It's now to bring back. So we have the old Adam and the new Adam. And so it's that right living, that living in righteousness that Paul is trying to do. And he says as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification, that, you know, accepting that um, gift that we have through Jesus' death. And so that brings, you know, them uh, or us in changed hearts. Then looking at the last um, three verses or so. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, you know, it's a choosing behavior. We can either take one that leads to destruction, because if you, you know, at the end of time, if you chosen the incorrect life and it's kind of like I, I was thinking about sometimes you know they say he who wins who is, has the most toys well okay you can't take the toys with you and so what you've done in this life and have been bound by sin that's where you are it's death it's separation from God and those that don't seek to have the most toys, but seek to follow God, what do they have? And that is the the second part of 22. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You know, there we are with Christ. It's a, you know, Paul has talked about several times the present age and the age to come. Well, in the age to come is when that the chaos is gone and we're there in eternal life with Christ and those others that are in the same fellowship. And then for the wages of sin, you know, you get, 
you know, we've talked about the workers in the field and whatnot uh, in some of the parables, and they get paid a wage for their work. They've earned it. That's what they deserve is to be paid. Well, here, for the wage the you know of sin is death. You know, what I have earned and what I deserve is death from my sin. But the free gift, now gift that's free, that's not deserved. You didn't do anything to earn it. You just got it. You know, it, it's like, you know, we've just been through the Christmas season and you give, you know, hopefully gifts to people that um, they accept freely. And, you know, a lot of times it's to people that are surprised potentially to have gotten it from you. It's just somebody you've reached out to and said, here. They didn't do anything to deserve it. They just received it. And so we didn't, and we talked about this, and when we talked about Abraham and we talked about Noah and Moses, you know, they found favor with God, but it wasn't anything they did. It's just they received favor from God, and God called them to do something. But in our case, we ex- we were given a free gift. Now, when that gift's given to you, you've got to choose to accept it. You know, I can always, um, you know, give something to, um, say, this person that I just happened to give it to, and they go, well, I, didn't, I don't deserve that, so here, you take it back. They make a choice whether to accept it or not. And so it's a behavior that... Um, we need to, you know, look at how we receive it. And that behavior that, you know, Paul is talking about, we need to change when we do receive that gift, but it's given to us because of nothing that we've done. How would you define sanctification? And the reason, I, there's three words I'm, I, can't, I can't remember the third one. Sanctification, justification, and one other one. Propitiation. That may be it. And what, what, and I'm, 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 I had trouble at the time I heard it trying to understand the difference between the three. So I don't, I'm just curious, is sanctification forgiveness or, or? It's It's the imputed, it's the receiving of the imputed, what Christ has done that leads us, you know, the suffering and death of Christ is imputed to us. And in doing that, we grow in that divine grace that we receive. It'd be kind of how I've worked through it, John. Well, one of the, one of the terms is, is like you, and, one, and I'm not sure which is which, but one of them implies that, you know, it's like you never, in God's eyes, you never committed a sin. And then sanctification is basically when <clears throat> this is the melting and molding of you into the image of Christ. So once you're, you're saved, holy. then you're it's how do you live the Christian life? And that's when you're made holy. You're you're being more and more made in the image of Him. Right. I mean, you're not going to get sanctification because right. once you're justified, that's one thing. You know, we'll see you celebrate. <laughs> But then living the Christian life is a whole other thing. 
are you going to abide in him and and know that through grace because all of this was um, uh, sin because we knew because the Ten Commandments that we were sinners but we can't live it and it's by the grace of God that enables us to um, even for a little temptation like somebody um, saying something you know, and you want your flesh wants to retaliate. It, it keeps, uh -huh. and it, but it's it it it's the grace of God that keeps you from from doing that. So. What is propitiation? Well, that's a whole nother. Propitiation. <coughs> the, the the terms we're using, it's I think it's worth getting down, drilling down to their root meanings. Okay, propitiation is a religious term that refers to the substitution of in a sacrifice when a an animal was offered as a sacrifice to God it was in propitiation that is an offering and Christ is the perfect offering for our sins propitiation um, sanctification that's as Margaret said um, it's it's becoming holy in his image and it comes from the Latin word that means holy. Sancti, sancti is the Latin for holy. Spiritus Sancti, that's Holy Spirit in Latin. Um, I only know that from watching The Godfather. You know that? <laughs> <laughs> but in the baptism scene, the priest is doing it all in Latin. Um, but the, um, so propitiation is the offering that Christ made for us. Justification is the legal term where we are treated as sinless even though we are <coughs> sinful. And sanctification is the process by which, having accepted this grace, we become more like him in his <coughs> image. In that, I think I need to go and vest up. <laughs> Thank you. You're on your own, buddy. <laughs> Good luck. Hey, and um, Brian has to go vest too. Um, the. In, in, in the free gift, I was thinking about the owner who sent workers into the field, and, you know, he went to where the labor pool was, you know, and people waiting to get a job, and, you know, you'll go, I'll pay you $100. Then at 9 o'clock, he came and he got, made the same offer, and people went, and at 12, and at 3, and then, you know, right an hour before the day was over, he went and got a few more, and he paid them all the same. Well, those workers that came at the very end of the day effectively got a free gift. They didn't do the work that the others did, but they got a free gift because they got it. And I got to wondering, what would have happened on day two? Now, as it relates to the free gift we have with God, he's talking about here, I think 
that's where it comes to our thankfulness for the gift we've received. And I suspect that those that were truly thankful for that would have been there the next day at the start of the day. And those that were aggravated because they didn't get, they had to work all day for it, would have sat around and said, well, I ain't got to go to work. You know, at 5 o'clock, I'll take the offer and go out there and get my 100 bucks." But it was the thankfulness of the people that effectively worked for nothing that would have brought them back at the start of the next day. And that's the way we need to be in our thankfulness for what Christ has done for us and how that free gift works. And the faith will show up anyway the next morning, even though they didn't get paid. Good point. Thank you, Mary. Good point. Yeah, because that's... uh, it can be looked at it uh, in a way of look at all these people that have labored in the vineyard in the Christian faith for so long and then at the last minute on the deathbed somebody that's just a horrible human being can still get in and some might think wait now this isn't right here I've been at this for uh, decades and then this this character over here gets dead at the last minute but they do but that's, that's where then some of that pride takes over. The, the, uh, the law tries to suck us back in in our thinking. Looking now at the first part of chapter um, 7, and we've gone, chapter 6 really talks about the triumph of grace over the power of sin. Now, 7 is really about the triumph of grace over the power of the law. And they're tied together, but they're a little different. Um, If someone would read verses 1 through 6 of chapter 7, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking of those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit from God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Thank you. It's a bit of an imperfect example that Paul is using here about the woman and you know being married and then when her husband dies, she's not bound by the law that says about committing adultery because she's no longer married. I mean, he's dead. And she's free to marry again. And 
that that does not make her an adulteress. So, you know, when we've died to the law, we're not bound by the law in the you know in the the way that it's talked about here, but we're separated from the penalty of the law, so to speak. And uh, so we have something greater. And so Paul is saying, likewise, we've died to the law through the body of Christ so that we might belong to another, and that's to him who's raised us through the dead, and that we may bear fruit for God. So that's by serving and doing as the Holy Spirit would lead us. And then it talks about when in the flesh our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work. You know, so we know what the, the law says and we are, it drives us. And I got to thinking, here we had the Pharisee at prayer, if you'll remember, and he's you know, saying, thank God I'm not like that tax collector over there. And that tax collector over there is humbling himself before God because he sees who he is. And the, the Pharisee is so bound by the law that he can't see what God wants him to see. He's got blinders on. The law has totally bound him, and he's trying to be perfect in serving the law that he doesn't see God and has no ability to serve him because he's serving the law. And so this of what Christ comes allow would allow a person to bear fruit for God because he's unbound by the law and just trying to follow it because we can't do it. We've read about that enough and talked about it. And so we serve, as he says, uh, Paul says here in the last part, we serve the new way of the Spirit. You know, we serve God in a way that the Holy Spirit leads us, that we've released ourselves to do or choose to try to do, and not following the written code. Well, I think it goes back some to where, like in 20, it's that awareness of the sin. You know, so, the law, there was no sin. I understand that. But when, when the law came, it opened the eyes of the people that there was sin. And sin can be very attractive. And it arouses your passions to know that this is, shall we say, forbidden fruit. Can be a very challenging thing. Look at look at Adam and Eve. Although the law did not exist at that time, they were subject to passions that was aroused by the by the devil. I, mean, I hear that, I and mean, that's what that says. I just, I, well, and and I. If, if someone says you shouldn't do that, that's the one thing you want to do. I, that's what I'm saying. Actually, I don't think I've ever lived like that. I, that's why I don't get this. I mean, I think there is an inner morality that the law codified. 
And, and when the lady gets married again, she's bound by the new law of the new marriage to her new husband. And I think as a Christian, you're bound by new laws. They're very much incorporating the old laws, but there's still a morality, a code, and I don't, I don't get what Paul is trying to address here. Again, it goes back to, this must have been a tremendous affront to all of those people, those Gentiles, that, that had sort of accepted the law as being a good way to live. And I just don't, I don't... Well, you know, remember, Christ said, I didn't come... You know, he said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so the moral law still exists. It's still there. I mean, that doesn't give us, you know, just because we are saved and accepted Christ and are freed from the law, that doesn't mean the law is just thrown out the door. It still exists. It's our relationship, really, that has changed in that the what we still need to do as a civil society is the same whether that law is there or not, but it's how we respond to it. And as I was saying a while ago with the Pharisee, they were so bound by what the law said that they lost sight of God. They didn't see what they really needed to be seeing and looking at. And, you know, the passion that was there, you know, whether it was in Adam and Eve or Cain and Abel, you know, Cain got so angry with Abel, he killed him. And God had even said, why are you angry? Before he killed Abel. And so, you know, and then he was sent off. So the sin was still there, but it really wasn't recognized as sin. Because they didn't know, they didn't have that law that told them what they shouldn't be doing. A lot of times they knew what they shouldn't be doing because that's that inner sense. Because even when God came to Cain after he killed Abel, it's kind of like, what do you want? You know, it's like, you know, you got the cookie out of the cookie jar when you weren't supposed to. You knew something wasn't right and you hadn't done right. But it hadn't been codified to know that thou shalt not kill. But Cain knew he'd done something wrong that he shouldn't have done. Yeah. I look at it as maybe an oversimplification is that in the, uh, before Christ there was the law and so you obeyed the law because you had to. After Christ you obeyed the law you still obeyed the law, but the reason you did it is because you wanted to. Not because you had to. It was a bit, so the change is within you. The law hadn't changed, but why you're doing it has changed. Why did the righteous people obey the law before Christ? I mean, I they had a relationship. I think they felt they, this was God's law. They had a relationship. I don't know if they had... I mean, they're people who talk to God. They're people who felt they had a relationship with God. Sure. So there were righteous people. Exactly. No, but no, no people are righteous. Huh? No, not one is righteous. None is righteous. None is good. So according to Jesus, there was no, none was righteous. And that's where the Pharisees got messed up with the pride. Right. Because, I mean. Well, Christians get mixed up. Yeah, we all do. I mean, you know, some recognize, 
some would recognize what they had done and seek forgiveness. I mean, because David, I mean, David was as big a lawbreaker as there was, but David recognized that he had done wrong and humble, would humble himself, where, as in talking about the Pharisee, he was seeing himself as walking that fine line, and he wasn't getting on either side of it. He was in the middle of the road right down that yellow stripe. And that was what became important to him, that he was on the yellow stripe down the middle of the road. I'm probably getting too technical. I'm not trying to be critical on this at all, but it just seems to me that if, if before the, the law, if you take the Ten Commandments as the law, before the Ten Commandments, I mean, we were sinners from the time, human beings were sinners from the time of the garden. Correct. And so, and, and I think we were subject, people, human beings were subject to the human passions or, or adultery or whatever. It was, you know, I, and my question is probably too technical or too detailed is, is why does it appear to say here that our that our lustful passions become more inflamed because of the law or because of the law after the law? I, I, I don't understand what the law, the, the timing of the law existence of it, had to do with the human condition, so to speak. Well, it is. What did you say, Martin? Said it, it's the flesh. I mean, the flesh. Uh, <coughs> It, what, where is that passage that says it gives first to, um, it starts out with something and then something and then it gives birth to sin? What, uh, you know what yeah, I know it's talking about it, but I can't. About, and it starts out with a, just a little something and then it, it, it grows and the passion gets justified or whatever it might be. I'm not saying just well, adultery passion, I'm talking about any kind of passion. To use Steve's example, who amongst us hadn't really wanted to go down 20th Street at 60 miles an hour? You know, I, I remember, as, I remember as, as a teenager, the great, the great thrill was to, to entice somebody into a drag race on 22nd Street and see if we could get them to go fast enough to get <coughs> airborne on the Those are your But, you know, I, is somebody was saying a little earlier, when when somebody tells you you can't, think about a little child. So, so often when you tell them you can't go outside today, they start looking for a way to get out that door. Now, I don't know if y'all, Hebrews is not a long book, but, you know, in here, but that goes into all of that stuff. And, and one of the things that I, I have a relative that said, well, at least there's one law of the Ten Commandments that I've done, and it uh, to honor my father and mother, and, um, and but he's never read James that if you break just one, you've broken them all. So um, that's why you need a savior. So yeah, he was he was thinking I've got one of them, so I might make it in a better spot. Mm -hmm. Well, also you know, and even looking at the Mosaic laws, Christ told us a lot of told us, and he went through and interpreted it. Killing wasn't necessarily, you know, pulling the trigger. Well, they didn't have guns back then, but in effect, pulling the trigger. It's how, your anger that how you thought about them. And as they say, you know, stealing is not just robbing banks, which another friend of mine said, I haven't robbed any banks, I haven't done, committed adultery yet, you know. But, but she did other things, like stealing someone's reputation. So, you know, it can be stealing in another way. Um, then, and Jesus redefined it. Right. It's anger and uh, lust in your heart. So, I mean, we can't get away with anything. 
And I think the law is not just the Ten Commandments. Unfortunately, the law is a bunch of other things. Yes. Where they were unreasonable and stoning women for doing this. I mean, you know, well, the, the law. Jews, the Jews had had any laws on top of the law. Right. Yeah. So that may be what they're really referring to is not just the Ten Commandments, which to me is a little bit more binding to all of us than all the other laws. Well, they tried to find fine point. They, you know, it was trying to sometimes describe what was not doing from the Ten Commandments. But in any case, have a great week. We'll be back to uh, continue talking about... uh, Today today is over. You get to wait, Frank. (laughs)